getting started. Well, um, it's a it's a um, honor to um, introduce Chao Cheng. Um, uh, before I do that, he doesn't have any financial interests. Uh, he, he reports he's not intending to discuss soft label or investigational uses of any product or device, and he's not receiving direct payments from a commercial entity related to this activity. And um, we'll welcome the people that are joining um, through the internet. So uh, Dr. Cheng has been um, an assistant professor here since uh, 2012. Um, his training um, was in computational biology and bioinformatics um, at the University of Southern California, and he also got a, a master's in statistics there. So um, he's quite uh, broadly and um, elegantly trained. He also has a master's in um, molecular genetics from Fudan University in uh, China, and he, he's very productive. He has about 80 uh, publications um, that uh, are uh, in, published, but he's got a bunch more in, um, in process, and I'm impressed by some of his activities. Uh, he's on the program committee for um, the Asia-Pacific Bioinformatics Conference, so when people want to leave here and uh, go somewhere nice and warm, um, talk to him. That'll be in uh, January in Taiwan. And um, he's also been uh, very involved in the uh, Pacific Symposium on Biocomputing in Hawaii. So um, he's a person to talk to when you want to bail in January. But um, anyway, uh, Chow, thank you for um, agreeing to talk to us about um, transcription, transcriptional um, regulation. And he's having some trouble with that. Um, we'll be there in a minute. Yes. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. It's a problem I've had. That's all right here. Frustrating. Any exciting? It's frustrating having those guys come first. He's also got his uh, flash drive here. Okay. Um, mirror images? Yeah, that looks good. That's looking better. 
Okay, uh, I think now we can start now. Uh, <laughs> thank you for inviting me to give the talk. My lab is a dry lab, so today I will talk about several computational uh, methods we developed in the past few years <coughs> for cancer translational study. And uh, uh, the disclosure statement. Um, as we know that in the past few years, we have experienced significant technology advancement um, like the traditional ex biological experiment is, pre uh, is very time consuming. You probably spend a few years to generate a small amount of data. And uh, to analyze the data, it maybe just takes a few minutes to finish all the uh, data interpretation and analysis. The microarray experiment developed more than 10 years ago uh, can generate, can quantify the expression <laughs> levels of tens of thousands of genes at the same time. And it takes a uh, longer time to analyze the data. Um, but now we get the challenge because of the development of the next generation sequencing technology. You can easily generate a huge amount of data, several terabytes of, of data within a few days. But it takes much, much longer time to analyze the data than generating them. And because of this, um, the, there are a huge amount of genomic data that have been produced by several large-scale uh, projects. And here, I just list several of them that I will talk about, I will utilize in today's talk. The ENCODE project, most people know this. The TCGA focuses on the cancer genomics. The CMAP data, the connectivity map, they're uh, determining the drug treatment profiles for more than 10,000 different drugs. Most of the drugs are FDA-approved. And this uh, drug treatment profile was performed in several uh, cancer cell lines, including MCF7, PC3, and HL60. And I will talk about in my latest slides about this, pro uh, this data. And another one is imaging project. In this project, they isolated and purified uh, more than 200 different uh, immunocell lineages and determine the gene expression profile of these uh, cell lineages. At the same time, there are a large number of data that have been generated by small labs from case-by-case -case studies. And these data have been collected and available from the public databases. And for example, for cancer studies, there's a tens of thousands gene expression data have been generated. And these data are available from the GEO database or from some disease-specific database like Oncomine. And now the situation is, we are not lack, not lack of the data. We have a huge amount of data. And the, the goal of my lab is to uh, utilize this, this big data to review regulatory mechanisms and translate them into clinical applications. And here are the strategies in, um, in my lab. We integrate the genomic data generated by the large-scale project with the cancer expression data and the clinical information uh, that's available from the, the, the database by using, uh, by developing integrative computational method. And uh, my lab focuses on three uh, different fields. Uh, number one, we want to identify the regulatory programs that are associated with the prognosis of patients. 
And number two, we want to predict novel candidate drugs for treating cancer uh, of different types. And number three, we want to investigate the associ association between infiltrating tumor cells and uh, clinical outcomes. So that's the goal of, uh, of, of our, our lab. And accordingly, I divide my talk today into three parts. In part one, I will talk about uh, the prognostic regulatory programs. In this part, we will integrate the uh, cancer gene expression data and the clinical information with CHIP-seq data generated by the ENCODE project. Part two is drug repositioning. We will integrate with the drug treatment profile generated by the CMAP project. And in part three is about cancer immunology. We will integrate the uh, cancer gene expression data with the immunocell expression profiles generated by the imaging project. All right, that's the outline of my, uh, of my talk today. And let's start from the, the part one. This part is about uh, prognostic regulatory program. So what is a regulatory program? Here, a reg regulatory program is consists of a transcription factor and its targeted genes that are regulated in a coordinated manner. And these regulatory programs, um, their function downstream of cancer-related pathways. And there are actually the workhorse of uh, gene, uh, gene expression regulation in cancer cells or other biological processes. And the goal of this study is to identify cancer-related regulatory programs to reveal cancer mechanisms, and two, to define regulatory program-based markers for, predict for predicting cancer prognosis and uh, treatment effect. And as I mentioned, uh, the key player of a regulatory program is transcription factor, TF. So why do we care about the transcription factors? Because we, we care about this because we know that transcription factors play very critical roles in, in cancer regulation. I mean, this figure shows the regulatory network underlying uh, cancer biology. You can see the majority of pathways will eventually transmit their signal to a number of transcription factors. And these transcription factors uh, work together to determine the gene expression regulation in cancer cells. And uh, in fact, many transcription factors are oncogenes and all tumor suppressor genes. So that's why we have interest on um, um, investigate the transcription factor activity in, in the cancer studies. Unfortunately, the TF activity in many cases cannot be reflected by their expression level, uh, by their, their mRNA expression level. So there are several reasons as I listed here. So first, uh, the TF activity is regulated at the post-transcriptional level by, for example, by uh, phosphorylation or dephosphorylation. And secondly, the activity of transcription factors is also determined by the, their uh, cellular location. So the translocation will also uh, regulate the TF activity. And number three, there are some mutations occurred in the coding region of the transcription factors that will change the activity of TF without changing their expression levels. So this is a problem because 
remember that the majority of data, the majority of data generated for cancer studies are microarray data. In this data, you only have the expression level of TF, but you don't know what are the activity of these transcription factors. So to solve this problem, our idea is to develop <coughs> algorithm to infer the TF activity based on the expression level of their target genes. And in this figure, in this slide, I show four scenarios of, of what can happen in the, uh, in the cell. In scenario one, uh, the transcription factor have, the TF have high expression level, and the TF activity is also on. So the target gene of the TF have high expression levels. However, in scenario two, the expression level of the TF is high, but the TF activity is off. So the target gene have low expression levels. You also have um, two other scenarios as I shown here. And we know that scenario two is the most prevalent uh, scenario in, in cancer cells. For example, like the mutation of a P53 gene will abolish its regulatory activity without changing its uh, gene expression levels. And now, so we, we propose to infer the TF activity based on their target gene, but the problem is uh, how do we know the target gene of a transcription factor? Unfortunately, in recent years, the ChIP-seq experiment was developed, so you can determine the target gene of the TF uh, in a very systematic manner. So for people who, not, who are not familiar with ChIP-seq, and this is slide gives you a brief idea. So you, you use the antibody that's binding specifically with a transcription factor to extract the TF. And at the same time, the DNA regions that bind with the TF will also be collected. So you purify this DNA, uh, the DNA regions, and you chop them into pieces, and you do sequencing. And you will have tens of uh, millions of reads. And when you map the reads back to the genome, you, you can decide what are the binding regions, what are the binding sites of the transcription factors. And several years ago, we have developed an algorithm called TIP to define the TF gene binding affinity score based on the ChIP-seq data. So for each gene, you can calculate what is the binding affinity of this gene with the transcription factor, given their ChIP-seq experiment. You can also set up the cutoff, like say uh, uh, FDR of 0.05, to define the target gene set of the, uh, of the transcription factor based on the ChIP-seq. And now we have uh, a number of gene expression profiles for the tumor samples, and we, we also have the ChIP-seq experiment, the ChIP-seq data for TF. Then we apply an algorithm called uh, BASE to infer the TF activity based on the expression level of the target genes. And this uh, slide gives you a very brief idea how, how it works. So what we do is, given uh, a gene expression profile for a tumor sample, we sort the gene expression from high to low to get a ranked gene list. The gene at the top have high expression level. The gene at the uh, bottom have low expression level. Remember, we have the ChIP-seq data, and we use TIP to uh, define the binding affinity of a gene with the TF. So you also have the score, like here. And then we define two functions, a foreground function and a background function to capture the correlation between the gene expression levels and the TF binding affinities. So if a TF have high expression level, 
then the targeted gene, that, that means the gene with high affinity with the TF, tend to have high ranks in the ranked gene list. So therefore, the foreground function will increase quickly. However, the, the background function will increase slowly. So the maximum division between the foreground function and the background function will tell you the activity of the TF. Right? So that's the basic idea of how this uh, master works. But the, uh, the real algorithm is much more complicated. And for people who are familiar with GSEA analysis, you will find that the formula uh, is similar to the GSEA analysis. And, but we extended the GSEA, and we can regard base algorithm as an extension of the GSEA algorithm. The GSEA takes the gene set as the input. Here, we allow to input the continuous value. So for, you, you, you basically consider all the genes, but give a, a weight to all the genes. So you don't have to predefine the gene sets, and, but you utilize all the gene information. Okay, so this is important because this can not only improve the statistical power of the analysis. Uh, more importantly, this allows the algorithm to be very flexible. You can take uh, the TF binding affinity as the input. And in, in the, uh, in the uh, other slides, in the other two projects, I will show you that you can actually define the TF, uh, the gene, uh, like for the drug gene relationship from the drug treatment profile, or define the, uh, the specificity of a gene in, for, a, uh, for a cell, immunocell lineage. And it can be very flexibly applied to different, to study uh, different problems. And this is the outline of uh, what we do in the breast cancer. So we investigated more than 400 uh, different CHIP-seq uh, experiments. And uh, we go to uh, the breast cancer samples. And for each transcript factor, we calculate a regulatory score of the TF in all the patient samples. So we got uh, the, the, the regulatory score profile for all the TFs for more than 400 uh, different transcript factors. And then we perform the Cox regression analysis to see which transcript factor is significantly correlated with the survival of the patient in their regulatory activity. And then we can have a list of significant transcript factors. And, and we can also combine all these significant transcript factors to build up an integrated model for prognostic prediction. And from this more than 400 different CHIP-seq uh, data, these are uh, significant reg regulatory programs we identified in breast cancer. And these programs are correlated with uh, the metastasis-free survival uh, of patients in, in breast cancer. And in the next few slides, I will use um, E2F4 as an example to give you more details about how do we do the prognostic analysis. And this one, in panel A, I select three uh, patient samples. So one with high E2F4 activity. Remember, this activity is inferred by using the algorithm. And uh, one patient with uh, intermediate E2F4 score. Another one have low E2F4 activity. And uh, here, I rank the gene based on their expression levels. 
And the bar shows the target gene of E2I4, a highly confident target gene set of E2I4. You can see that in the patient with high 2,4 activity, the target gene tend to have high expression levels. In the patient with a negative with low E2I4 activity, the target gene tend to have low expression levels. That means the algorithm can correctly uh, summarize the expression level of the target genes. And then, remember, we have the E2I4 score, the inferred E2I4 score for all the patients. So we, we use the Cox regression model to study their correlation with the patient survival. And as you can show here in table B, even after consider the ER status and another uh, clinical factor, the E2F4 score is still predictive to the patient survival. And finally, we simply stratify the patient into two groups. One group with positive E2F4 score, as shown in the red color. One group with uh, negative E2F4 score. You can see these two groups of patients have significantly different survival times. And the patient with higher E2F4 activity tend to have shorter survival time. And we validate this uh, results in another four independent breast cancer datasets. And we also find that the E2F4 program can be applied in conjunction with the uh, oncotype DX assay. The, the oncotype assay is a FDA approved genomic test to predict the risk of relapse in breast cancer. And here, based on the, as shown in the, in the first, uh, in the uh, top left figure, based on the expression level of 21 genes, you can classify the breast cancer patient into three categories. The high risk, intermediate risk, the black color, and the low risk. The high risk patient will be treated by chemotherapy or radiotherapy but the, the low-risk group will not be treated by aggressive uh, treatment because there are no evidence to show that this, uh, this patient will benefit from the treatment. But the problem comes from the, the black color, the black patient, uh, the intermediate group, because the uh, physicians just don't know how to deal with this patient. Now what we do is we select this intermediate patient classified by oncotype and apply our signature, the E2F4 signature, and you will find that actually this patient, this intermediate patient, I ha actually have two groups. About 50 to 30% of these patients have uh, high risk, so they should be treated more aggressively. However, if you use oncotype, like you can select the intermediate group, use oncotype score to further divide them in, into two groups, there's no significant dif difference. Between, that means uh, the oncotype score is not valid anymore when they, are, uh, when they divide them into categories. And this E2F4 signature is not only uh, effective in breast cancer, it's also valid in blood cancer. As shown here, uh, this, the panel H, the, left, the top left figure shows uh, the, the distribution of inferred E2F4 score in a number of blood cancer patients. And when you set up the cutoff at zero, and divide the patient into high risk and the low risk, you can see they have significant difference in their uh, survival time. And we, we know that the blood cancer have two uh, subtypes based on their stage. They have non-muscle invasive blood cancer and muscle invasive blood cancer. And it turned out that the signature is valid in both of the two subtypes. 
So now, as a summary, number one, the TF activities can be inferred based on the expression level of their target genes. Number two, the regulatory programs provide a new type of biomarker for predicting cancer prognosis. And number three, this method can be applied to different cancer types. All right? So now we finish the first part. Now we, we, let's move on to, the, uh, to part two. Uh, the, the, uh, the goal of this study is to uh, develop a new algorithm to repositioning to reposition existing drugs for treating cancer. This is so-called drug repositioning uh, problem. And the reason we do drug repositioning uh, is that developing a novel, a new drug is very time-consuming and expensive. Usually, it takes more than 11 years and uh, more than billion billion uh, dollars to invent a new, uh, a new drug. And according to the ERMS law, that the number of drugs invented per billion dollars have been cut in 50% <laughs> for every nine years. So the problem is getting worse and worse. So therefore, like people say, oh, maybe an alternative solution will be reuse the uh, old drugs for treating new disease. So this is why uh, people develop the, the uh, drug repositioning uh, pro uh, project. And actually, there are many strategies that have been proposed and many successful examples of drug repositioning. And here, this is uh, uh, the, the, we developed to do drug repositioning, we developed a, uh, a method called IDEA, Integrative Drug Expression Analysis. And this uh, method is motivated by a recent publication that showed that the baseline expression of genes can predict the clinical drug response of cancer. So that's the, that's the original paper. I said, oh, probably we can um, determine whether a drug is effective for treating cancer based on the expression level of the drug-regulated genes. So we first developed this idea and applied it to breast cancer. And to do this, we integrated two types of data. One type is the breast cancer data. And another type is uh, the drug treatment profiles from the CMAP project I introduced at the beginning. And in this project, they are treated the, uh, the cell lines, the MCF7, which is the breast cancer cell line, by more than 200, uh, by more than 1,200 different drugs. And they're checked what what genes are differentially expressed when the, when the cell line are, are treated by the drug. So here is some more details. So you treat the MCF7 cell, the breast cancer cell, and then you decide uh, after the drug treatment what genes are upregulated and what genes are downregulated. So you know what genes are, will be regulated by the drug. And then you integrate this drug treatment profile with expression profile in breast cancer using the base, again, the base framework, the rank-based framework. And for each drug, you calculate a score that summarizes the baseline expression of the drug-regulated genes in each of the patient samples. So you got a drug treatment, prof uh, you got a drug-regulatory score profile for each of these drugs. 
then you correlated the these scores with the patient survival. I guess the, now the rationale behind of this is if you find that the baseline expression levels of drug-regulated genes for a drug is correlated with the patient survival, you probably can assume that maybe this drug have treatment effect in cancer. So that's the idea. So we did this analysis uh, in breast cancer. And uh, out of these 1,200 different drugs, we find a number of significant drugs. And we, it turned out that um, many of the knowing drugs for treating breast cancer have been identified here. So here, I, uh, out of the 20 most significant drugs that we predicted, 11 of them are known to be the drugs for treating breast cancer, that including the drug for chemotherapy, like I'm showing here, and also the drugs for targeted therapy. And you can see here, like what manning and LY294002, both of them are PS3K inhibitors. And we also identified the toy inhibitors as a significant drug. Moreover, we also identified some novel candidate drugs, including the uh, vitamin C. So I know some people are doing experiments to do this. Uh, uh, there are hypotheses that a high dosage of vitamin C can kill tumor cells. And this is another example. Uh, there's a drug called cyclosporine, which is, uh, this drug is a immunosuppressant drug uh, that are used to prevent the re rejection in organ transportation. And we find that uh, when you stratify the patient based on the score, the drug recognition score for this drug, you can see that the two groups will have significant difference in their survival times. That means this drug is correlated with uh, the, the survival. To understand why this drug uh, have treat, probably have treatment effect in cancer, uh, we go to the original drug treatment profile. So we correlate the, we calculate the co correlation of this drug and all the other drugs in their drug treatment profile. And the figure in the, in the middle shows the distribution of these correlations. There's, there is a drug called uh, tepsigurine that have very high correlation. The correlation coefficient is 0.6 with this drug, with cyclosporine drug. And uh, there are some studies that have shown that the, uh, when this drug can delay the tumor growth in cancer mouse xenograph model. And then that figure shows the correlation between the cyclopouring and uh, uh, the TAPS-sigurine <coughs> uh, drugs. And because they have high correlation, we probably can assume that maybe cyclosporine can also like, uh, delay the, 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 uh, the growth of the tumor. And the, we, we also get the evidence from going enrichment analysis. We found that uh, the genes that are downregulated by cyclosporine are enriched in cancer-related pathways. For example, the cell cycle regulation pathway and the um, apoptosis pathway. And that gives you some idea, maybe this drug will be effective in treating cancer. And other than the breast cancer, we also apply this algorithm, the idea algorithm to uh, leukemia. So we 
in, in, we, we tested this idea in four different uh, independent leukemia data sets. And we find that there's a drug called uh, uh, trichostatin A, TSA, that shows uh, show significant correlations with the patient survival of, uh, in leukemia in all these four data sets. And we look at the uh, literature, we found that TSA, TSA is a HDAC inhibitor. And this paper have been predicted by, by other algorithms to be effective to treating leukemia. And there are many studies to investigate its function in inhibiting uh, cancer, leukemia and other cancer types. And to further understand the mechanism, mechanism of this drug, so we go to another data set called GDSC data set. In that data set, uh, they're generated the baseline expression of all genes for more than 600, more than 700 different cancer cell lines. And at the same time, they have uh, determined the sensitivity of all these cell lines to more than 100 different drugs. So we calculate, we calculate the TSA regulatory score in all these 700 cell lines, and we correlate it with the IC50 of this drugs uh, across all the cell lines. So you got the correlation co coefficient between the TSA drug regulatory scores and the IC50 of all the drugs across the cell line. And we find that uh, on the rightmost most side is the, is, is a drug called ABT263. And this drug, the sensitivity of this drug have the highest correlation with the TSA drug regulatory score. And uh, this drug is uh, a BCL2 inhibitor. So this implies that the TSA, the anti-cancer effect of TSA might be mediated by apoptosis pathway because BCL2 is a very important anti-apoptotic protein uh, in, in cancer. And in this figure, the left side shows the correlation between the TSA drug regulatory score and the uh, HDAC, HDAC2. Remember, the TSA is essentially a HD, HDAC inhibitor. And with our collaborators, we select five of the predictions, significant predictions, and, validate, uh, and perform some experiments to validate their effective in inhibiting cancer uh, in mouse model. And this figure shows one of the drugs, the results for one of the drugs called uh, Sulfasalazine. Uh, this is a drug for treating um, real rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so what we do is we inject the HL60, the leukemia cell lines, beneath the skin of, of the mouse. So we're using a total of 10 mouse, and then we randomly uh, divide this mouse into a kids group and the control group. In the in the control in the in the treatment group, and uh, uh, the mouse are treated by this, uh, by this drug, and uh, we follow up for three weeks, 21 days, and you can see that uh, this drug has significant effect in inhibiting the growth of the tumor uh, uh, of leukemia cells. Um, we also test this idea in, in another uh, cancer type, liposarcoma. Remember, the CMAP data only have the drug treatment profile for three different cell lines. Leukemia, we have tested. Uh, MCF7, we have tested. 
But for liposarcoma, there's no experiment performed in this cell line. So then we go to the literary, uh, the MCKDB, which provides um, predefined gene sets based on the previous publications. Some of these gene sets are defined based on the drug treatment. Right? So we apply our algorithm to investigate what gene sets are significantly correlated with the survival of liposarcoma. A patient, and with this, each of these nodes is a significant gene set. Uh, among these gene sets, there are three gene sets that are corresponding to the drug treatment. So here are listed the name over there, and we we search the literature. We find that one of the drug is approved drug for treating advanced soft tissue sarcoma, and another two drugs, both of them are anti-diabetic drugs. And both of them are on the phase two clinical trials for treating liposarcoma treatment. And I heard from someone that one of the drug has been failed <laughs> recently. Uh, anyway, like in summary, we can see that uh, number one, the idea provides a new method for identifying candidate drugs for cancer treatment. And number two, it can provide insight uh, about the mechanism by which a drug inhibits cancer cells. And number three, this method can be applied to different cancer types and utilize drug treatment profile from different sources. All right, this, uh, this is a part, part one and part two. Uh, is that clear so far? All right. So now we can go to the, the, uh, the third part. It's about... Uh, uh, cancer immunology. And the, the question we try to address here is, we want to know what immunocell types are important for the survival of the patient, for, all, for the uh, clinical outcomes. And we also want to know why some cancer types, why some cancer types are more sensitive to immunotherapy, while others are not sensitive to immunotherapy. And we, want, we also want to identify, given a cancer type, which patients are more likely to be responsive to a specific uh, immunotherapy treatment? And remember, like usually in the microarray data, what you measure is uh, you have the gene expression profiles for uh, tumor samples. But remember, the tumor samples is very uh, is very heterogeneous, and you have not only tumor cells; you you can you also have all types of immunocell types. Uh, uh, in the in the tumor samples, so the expression profile is a mixed expression profile. So that's not only give you the uh, the gene expression, the expression level of genes in the tumor cells. It's also informative um, for the gene expression in different uh, infiltrating immunocells. So with this idea, like we develop a, a, a integrative method to infer the relative abundance of different type of infiltrating immune cells based on the gene expression profile from microarray experiment. And here is uh, the basic idea is like this. If you know there is a specific gene that we call it gene X that have high expression levels only in a specific immunocell immuno types, but not in other immunocells, and it's not uh, expressed in the tumor uh, cells either. So you will see the expression level of this gene in the tumor, sample, tumor samples will be proportional to 
to the relative abundance of that immuno, uh, immuno cell type, right? And of course, in the real case, um, the situation is more complicated. You, you, you usually don't have such a, um, you cannot identify a gene with such a, very, such a specific uh, expression pattern. But what you can do is, you can go to the imaging uh, uh, gene expression profile. Remember, I, I talked about this. So there are collect and purify more than 200 different immuno cell types and determine their gene expression profiles. So based on this expression data, in mouse, uh, immuno, for mouse immuno cells, you can define a specificity uh, profile for each of the cell lineage. So the gene on the left side are more specifically expressed in, for example, lineage, uh, cell lineage K, and genes on the right side are less specifically expressed in that cell lineage. So you can define a profile that tell you how specific of a gene for all the cell lineages, and you use this as a weight profile, and you combine with the cancer gene expression data, and you use the, the base framework and you can calculate the relative abundance of each immuno cell lineage uh, in all the uh, cancer samples given a data set. And we, do, we did this analysis in, first in, in breast cancer. And we calculate the, the relative abundance of each type of cell lineage uh, in each samples, and then we correlate with survival. And you can identify the cell lineages that are significantly correlated with uh, prognosis. And here is, uh, oh, we first we validate, remember we calculate the relative, uh, relative abundance of each cell lineage in the tumor samples. And to validate that, we go to a data set uh, which uh, determined the, the percentage of infiltrating lymphocytes in a number of breast cancer samples. So they're using the histopathological image data to divide the, the breast cancer patient into samples into two groups. One group with high infiltrating uh, uh, lymphocyte, another group with low infiltrating group. So we compared uh, the relative abundance of each of the cell lineage between the two groups. We found that uh, the majority of the, the, the cell lineage have high abundance in the high infiltrating group than the low infiltrating group. That means our inference based on the gene expression is mostly correct, because that tells you, uh, correctly predict the relative abundance of each cell lineage. And then we show um, the correlation of these cell lineages with um, prognosis in breast cancer. This is a typical volcano plot. In the y-axis, you show the p-value, the log transform the p-value of each cell lineage, and in the axis, you show the hazard ratio. And if the hazard ratio is less than one, that means um, this cell lineage is associated with good prognosis. In the high abundance of the cell lineage, the, go, uh, the better prognosis, the, the longer survive time. If the hazard, hazard ratio is uh, greater than one, that means this cell lineage is associated with uh, poor prognosis. Right? And our research uh, indicates that the majority of the innate uh, immuno programs are associated with good prognosis, as I'm showing here. So they are located on the left side. So you can see here the most significant one are 
some cell lineage that belong to the natural killer cells and the PTC cells that have that have that have very uh, significant p-values and uh, has a ratio less than one. And on the other hand, the prognostic impact of uh, the adaptive immuno cells um, is cell type dependent. Some of the uh, adaptive immuno cells are associated with uh, poor prognosis. Some of them are associated with good prognosis, as you can find here. Uh, one of the interesting findings is uh, one of the su surprising findings, we find that the T effect cell is associated with poor prognosis, associated with uh, prognosis, bad prognosis uh, in breast cancer, so which is surprising, because we know that the function of T effect cells is to inhibit and suppress uh, the tumor cells, so it should be correlated with good prognosis, but our results show that it's have a higher ratio less than, uh, higher ratio greater than one. And then we investigate the expression level of CDR4 in the patient samples. Because we know that CDR4 is an inhibitor uh, of the CD8 defect T cells. Our result indicates that there is a positive correlation between the CDR4 expression and the relative abundance of CD8 positive effect T cells. That means in a patient with higher uh, CD8 positive uh, T effect cells, they tend to have high expression level of CDR4. So therefore, even the patient have high abundance of T effect cells, they are may not be functional. So they are inhibited by CDR4 expression. Yes. Along the same lines, did you look at PD1? Yeah, we did that. Uh, very similar story, but the correlation between PDR1, PD1 expression level with uh, abundance of T effect cell is a, a little bit lower. And conversely, on the tumor cells, did you look for PDL1? In the tumor cells, PDL1. PDR1. Oh, we have to try that, but we, we didn't look at the PD1. Kind of important because if the, regardless of the CD8 cells having PD1 or not, if there's no ligand on the tumor cell, then it's it'd be less likely to have a, a major effect, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, so we, we, we can test that. Yeah. I have less concern CDL1 is around 45%. 45%. Yeah, here the, um, the correlation between CDL4 with uh, T effect cell is 0.4 something. Uh, the, PD, the PD1 is 0.3 something. So here I just list uh, uh, this result. Um, remember, the, 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 the expression profiles for the immuno cells are from mouse. I mean, some people may, may criticize that. Why do you use uh, the mouse data? The reason is there are more cell lineages available for that data, and uh, uh, the data is, uh, is much cleaner than the human data because all the mouse are from the same breed. And we also tried uh, the cell lineage data that's generated for human immuno, infiltrating immuno cells. And we repeat all the, this analysis, and we find that there's almost perfect match, perfect consistency between the mouse result and the human result. So that's verified, that's com confirmed our finding by using the, uh, the mouse uh, gene expression data from the imaging project. And for people who, who care about immunotherapy, they're probably more care about uh, another cancer type, melanoma. So we, we, we actually did this analysis in melanoma. We found that uh, the correlation of CD8 positive T vector cell is 
has a positive correlation with the patient survival. That means in melanoma, in melanoma cancer, patient, the sample with higher abundance of T effector cells are associated with longer survival time. So that means the, the, the function, the effect of different uh, immuno cells might, might be different in different uh, cancer types. And this is uh, the last slide shows uh, our analysis, our results in another cancer type in blood cancer. And we find that a specific uh, type of B cells called B1B is positively correlated with the progression-free survival in blood cancer. And more importantly, the existence of B1B cell can predict the treatment effect of BCG therapy. Because BCG therapy, uh, the BCG <coughs> immunotherapy called intravascular BCG therapy have been applied for treating uh, the non-muscle invasive blood cancer for nearly 40 years, but the detailed mechanism is still unclear. And here we find that, like, for sure, like, a patient will benefit from the uh, BCG therapy, as I'm showing in this panel. Like, uh, the black color shows the patient that are not treated by BCG, and the, the blue color shows the patient treated by the, uh, the uh, BCG therapy for all the patients. You can see, overall, the patient can benefit from the uh, BCG treatment. Uh, and however, we find that only, this is only valid for patients with high abundance of B1B uh, levels. Like, panel B shows the result for a subset of samples with high abundance of B1B. And you can see there is significant difference between the treated group and the untreated group. And essentially, all the patients that are treated by the BCG therapy are still alive. And for those untreated, that's after 80, uh, 80 months, about 30% uh, of patients have progressed into another stage. However, when you look at the patient with low abundance of B, uh, B1B, you will find that there's no significant difference between the treated and untreated group. So that means the B1B probably can be used as a marker to determine whether the patient will be responsive to uh, intravascular BCG therapy. All right, so in summary, number one, the relative abundance of infiltrating immunocells can be inferred based on the expression profiles in tumor samples. And number two, different immunocell lineages can have quite a different effect on prognosis in breast cancer. Number three, the same subtype of immunocells may have different effects uh, in different cancer types, as I showed by the example of T-effect cell, T-effect uh, immunocell. And number four, some immunocell types can be developed into biomarkers for predicting the sensitivity of patients to immunotherapy. Okay, that, that's uh, the part three. And so remember, I, here I focus on several cancer types. And actually, this, uh, all this method can be applied, can be further extended to other cancer types and all other human diseases. And you can also uh, use this method to study the, even the, bio, uh, the normal biological processes to see what regulatory programs are involved in uh, an important uh, biological process. And we can f also extend this framework or develop new integrative algorithms to incorporate 
the other genomic data, like uh, knockout data or gene expression data. So that could be the future direction of, uh, uh, of my lab. All right, so I, I acknowledge I thanks uh, uh, the lab members and the collaborators uh, that contribute and the funding resource that uh, contributed to this project. All right, thank you. with, I think, 400 transcription factors, 400 chip-seq experiments. Is that 400 different chip Oh, the 400 different chip-seq, representing for more than 120 uh, transcription factors. Okay, so you pulled out E to F4. What about the other 119? Did they correlate? Did they do anything for you? Uh, yeah, like, you, you, you probably see MIG. That one have similar pattern with uh, E to F4. So, and the, their score is correlated with the E to F4 score. So you're also looking across a lot of tumors, whereas the best drugs probably work in small subsets of tumors. So if you find a transcription factor which works in a small subset, uh -huh. do, you, do you find you know, sort of some of your transcription factors only correlating with 10 of the tumors? Uh, that over to a drug that might be appropriate for those 10 that, That's actually, actually, just recently, uh, we tried to uh, test this idea in lung cancer. In lung cancer, when we apply this reg regulatory program analysis in all the lung cancer data, uh, the, the p-value usually is not that significant. But if we focus on the adenocarcinoma, you, you will find the correlation is very high. It's, it becomes more significant. And more interestingly, when you further divide the patient into smoking, into smoker and non-smokers, and you will find uh, the regulatory program associated with a DNA binding protein, RAT21, is correlated with survival in smoking people. And RAT21 is a DNA repair gene. So, but we only find this result in, uh, in one data set. We haven't got validation from other data sets. And another problem for further dividing this patient is you reduce the number of samples, and therefore the statistical analysis is less powerful. Yeah, but, but this, we do see these patterns. If you have more uh, homologous, uh, homogeneous of, uh, uh, type of cancer, you are more likely to see the correlation. Any other questions? Thank you for a great Thanks. Yeah.